You're listening to Deep Dives with Sharks, a shark podcast focused on shark species, shark safety both for you and the sharks, and news from the past couple weeks. Sit back, relax, it's time to take a dive. Hello and welcome back, Shark Heroes, to another episode of Deep Dives with Sharks. I am still the host here. My name is Alex, and I wanted to first thank you all for your patience. If you're all caught up on episodes and we're waiting on this one, I just moved to Florida because I wanted to be closer to the sharks, clearly. Um, But actually, I was moving in with my girlfriend, so that's kind of fun. But that was a 14-hour drive, plus getting ready and working in school and My time and energy were just kind of eaten up, so I appreciate you all sticking through with that, but I did have an idea to try to make up for this one being super duper late, and I've started doing research on it, but I'll be running a couple polls just to see how it goes on the social media, which of course on Instagram is at Deep Dives with Sharks, and on Twitter is at Deep Dive Sharks, so follow along there. But uh, Shark Fest started on Monday, July 10th, and Shark Week starts on July 23rd. So I, of course, have been watching the past week, uh, watching Shark Fest there, which also happy Shark Fest, everyone. Also a happy belated Shark Awareness Day, as that was yesterday, July 14th, so that's kind of cool. But would you guys want to hear like my opinions on both events, which one I felt did better at the shark conservation message, um, just different things like that. Or should I just completely get rid of that? But just let me know. Um, I will put a couple polls up here and there just to see whichever one wins. And whichever one you guys want to see is the one that will happen. Uh, but of course, as I mentioned, follow along on those social medias in order to stay up to date. And we'll get started. So to start off, I do have a quick correction corner to go over. And some of this are just things that I heard on SharkFest that I wanted to update or at least add into episodes that I've already done. Uh, But first of all, Wobegong Sharks, they enjoy the company of other sharks and also will lay on top of each other if their population gets dense, especially in an area. They have great vision in low light to help see in dark areas, and they're also responsible for quite a few bites in Australia in the past couple of years since their numbers have rebounded so successfully, which I do remember I did mention that their numbers were on the rise over in Australia, but that's also meant that more people have gotten bit, so do be careful. Now, tiger sharks also have a mucus on their skin, and that helps ward off infection, but when handled by humans, uh, so getting tagged or anything like that, you can see the handprints from where the mucus got moved around, which is kind of neat. And also, a listener sent in this bit about hammerheads, and that is the fact that since hammerheads live in shallower waters, they have built-in sun protection, so that way they don't get burnt, which is pretty awesome because I totally missed that while doing the research. But moving on to the shark that we have for this week, that is going to be the Megalodon. Now, of course, this is one that's been requested quite a bit. I've gotten a few people that have asked about this, and it's also the first extinct shark that we're going to be covering, and I get asked about this shark all the time. So I was rather glad to get it out of the way since people ask me about it almost every time I bring up that I like sharks. Their first question is, do I think it's actually extinct? Well, I'm going to go with it is, and I'll explain why a little bit more. But with this, Megalodon means big tooth, which is why it's got its name, because it has absolutely massive teeth. They are the pictures that you see where the tooth is about as big as someone's hand, which is rather neat. It is a close relative of the Great White and is often depicted as being a giant Great White, although scientists are not sure if that's completely accurate. There are debates whether it looked closer to a whale, basking, or sand tiger shark. 
It is estimated that their maximum length was 67 feet or 20.3 meters. And we're going to hit some statistic data real fast. So if you all remember mean, median, mode, range, all that stuff. Well, the mode for their length was actually around 34 feet or 10.5 meters, which is only about 20 feet longer than a great white or 6.1 meters, which usually imagine it being like hundreds of feet long, but it's it's not too, too long. It's still pretty big, especially for being a um, carnivorous shark. But based on great white measurements, it is believed that these sharks weighed up to 61.8 metric tons. It's also believed that they would have to consume 90,175 calories a day. Part of the reason why they are believed to be extinct is due to this massive caloric intake and being unable to maintain it. In comparison, whale sharks consume about 6,000 calories per day, which is still a bunch. But it is believed that the warming oceans, uh, prey evolving to be smaller and faster, and the consumption of food is what caused the meg to go extinct. Now, here's where I'm going to add my own little two cents onto it. This is why I believe they're extinct as well, and that is simply because we have not found any evidence that they're still around. Uh, we would have found non-fossilized teeth, as we normally find many fossilized teeth from the Megalodon. Also, we would have found parts of it washed up somewhere, as we do find bits of colossal squid, even though we don't find those quite frequently. They do wash up onto shores and things like that, and there hasn't really been any of that. Plus, there's been no evidence that they could be anywhere, and of course, we've all seen those TikToks where everyone's trying to show that through the O-Search app that pings are going missing or sharks are suddenly traveling 200 miles in five minutes. That's just, I feel, inaccurate and more of a like, clickbaity type thing to try to get people to pop up like that, but I could be wrong. I could just be logging onto the app at different times than them, but not entirely sure anyway. But Scientists aren't entirely sure when these guys were alive, as it ranges anywhere from under 2.5 million years ago to 28 million years ago, which is a rather long time frame. The Meg would have had a different body structure than the image of a very large great white, and instead would have had a shorter anal fin and second dorsal fin that would have been smaller as well. They would have also had what is known as a caudal keel, or a small fin on either side of the tail to help them with balance in the water. So kind of think of how like an underwater torpedo looks with those back fins that have like the four little fins that come off of it, I guess is the best way to put it. But they would be a little bit in front of that tail, so they'd have the two off to the side there to help with balance. Now, megs were believed to be found in many oceans, specifically around North and South America, Africa, Europe, and Australia. So pretty much all over. Uh, they prefer to be around the subtropics, waters from 1 to 24 degrees Celsius, or 34 to 75 degrees Fahrenheit for the Americans in the room, myself included. Now, make fossils are found to be larger in the southern hemisphere, although this does not dictate an overall larger size in the, from the northern hemisphere. They did have a large triangular serrated teeth. This helps to catch a variety of prey, including whales, turtles, other sharks, and anything that was unlucky enough to cross its path. Now, this also does feed into that notion that they could be out there feeding on sharks today. We have a lot of the ocean that has not been explored, so I won't say it is 100% guarantee that it is extinct. I will say it is incredibly likely, though, that it is, and it'd be kind of neat if in a correction corner in the future I am telling you that I am wrong and that they're still all about, which would be kind of cool, but for right now, I'm going to keep going with their extinct. 
but it is believed that instead of having to catch and hold on to or break parts off of their prey, the mig would simply use its powerful jaws to crush through the prey's chest cavity, potentially damaging their heart, and in the case of whales, their lungs as well. Now, modern sharks aim for the soft spots on animals or the parts that make them move. So great whites aim for the soft underbelly of seals, as well as the tail of a whale in order to stop it from moving. So that way they can catch their large prey. But <clears throat> it was found in 2010 that megalodons had a breeding ground in four major areas, uh, being the Canary Islands, Panama, East Coast of Maryland, specifically the Delmarva area, and the Bone Valley of Central Florida. And that covers manatee, Polk, Hardy, and Hillsborough counties. So that is currently the center of Florida, which is rather weird. But of course, as things changed over the past couple million years, so did the landscape. But to go back to how they eat, um, kind of jumped ahead there a bit. But uh, to prove a point, so the modern sharks aim for the soft spots. The megalodon didn't really have to do that. All they had to do was just kind of chomp and just puncture. Uh, they were massive sharks that had massive teeth. So having that was a huge help and it didn't really it wasn't that hard to catch their prey at that point but now getting back on track now megs are very popular in our society today this is one of the first sharks many people will name when asked to do so usually they'll go with a megalodon great white or hammerhead as some of the top three bull sharks and tigers are usually around four and five but they do have the megalodon up there usually on their list They've been referenced in pop culture quite a bit, including appearing in many forms in the video game Sea of Thieves, including the Crested Queen, the Shadow Maw, the Hungering One, the Ancient Terror, and the ever-elusive Shrouded Ghost, which I still need to catch one day, and I will get you shrouded. But it has also appeared in many movies, including Megalodon, Megalodon Rising, the Black Demon, the Meg, Shark Attack 3, Megalodon, Megalodon, Great White Godfather, and of course, who could forget, Bigfoot vs. Megalodon, The Legends Are Real, and Megashark vs. Crocosaurus. Those last two made me laugh a little bit. I have not seen any of those. I tend to not watch any movies that depict the shark as the bad guy. Also, a controversial take here, I've never watched Jaws. Everyone assumes that's my favorite movie. I've never seen it. Maybe I'll change that this summer. We'll find out. But they've also been featured in other games, such as Sea of Thieves as mentioned, Battlefield 4, Maneater, and Hungry Shark Evolution. I also have not played the last two on the same basis of the movies that I watch. But there is still a lot of mystery surrounding the Megalodon, and a lot to be learned. Many aquariums either have Megalodon jaw recreations or teeth on display to see. I myself have pictures with my sister and friends from different school trips to the Baltimore Aquarium, where you could stand behind a set of Meg jaws and get a neat photo. It's also been there as long as I can remember, so they're not allowed to remove it, or I will riot. But that is what I have for the Megalodon. Of course, if you guys have any questions about it or anything else that you would like to hear or anything fun to tell me about it as well, please feel free to message me. And if there's anything to correct, I will make sure to do that in the next correction quarter. But I do have a little bit of shark safety to go over as well. And this one I've kind of gone over a little bit before, but I kind of went a little bit more in depth on it. And this is how to help someone who has been bitten by a shark. And this is going to be coming from the Victorian Fishing Authority, Time Magazine, and Crisis Magazine. So this topic came up a lot during the first week of Shark Fest, especially on the shows focusing on shark bites, which also I don't know if I mentioned it, Shark Fest is four weeks. So we're one week down, so you have three more to watch on Nat Geo, and then July 23rd, that is when Shark Week will start. I think I just said Shark Week, Shark Fest, either way. Shark Fest, 
already started four weeks, Shark Week, a week starting July 23rd. There we go. But there are a few things to keep in mind and that this is, first of all, a one in three million chance to get bitten by a shark. I've seen the odds go all the way up to one in 11 million, so it just kind of depends what your source is, but a couple million uh, at least. And the odds aren't zero, but it isn't a guarantee that every time you step in the water, you're going to get bit. One thing I've been hurt by in the ocean was stepping in the crab, uh, or on a crab, I should say, and a part of its claw got like stuck in my foot. That kind of hurt, but I was able to pull it out, and we were fine. And then once a sheep's head nibbled at my toe, and I, I still have all my, my toes and fingers and everything like that. So there's people who surf every day, and they encounter sharks frequently and don't get bit. So it's an cr- incredibly rare situation. Now, shark experts state that if you've been bitten by a shark or if someone nearby has been bitten by a shark, the first step is always to remain calm, which is one of the most annoying first steps. And that is because we just don't want the person to freak out, yourself included. We need you to stay calm, try to lower your heart rate, but it's going to be a really shocking situation. You're not going to expect to suddenly see someone get bit by a shark. So it's going to be one of those things that it's shocking, but just try to stay as calm as possible. So this will help to keep their heart rate down. It's kind of like the same way that when you see a kid just absolutely like running around and then just eat it out of nowhere and they look at you for a reaction and if you just don't react and they just toddle along like nothing happened. It's the same mentality there where you feed off the energy of the people around you. So if everyone around you is standing over you screaming, you're also going to want to be screaming too and that's just not really good when you've been bit. You want to try to calm down, slow your heart rate down, things like that. So if you're losing your mind and the person's chilling, they're probably going to lose their mind too. But when you are assisting someone else who's been bitten, you want to control the bleed, which means try to limit the loss of blood. Now, I'm not going to pretend that any sort of shark bite won't be a lot of blood involved. Shark teeth are razor sharp and they can get embedded deep quickly so there more than likely will be a lot of blood now there is one thing to mention though and that is that if you are squeamish around blood or cannot handle it well at all or if you're like my sister who faints every time she gets a blood test uh then probably be the person that just backs up and calls 911 there isn't really a good reason for you to be there adding to the chaos um and this isn't like me trying to take a shot at you or anything this is just the most helpful thing for you in that position is to call 911 and stay away from it because the more you look at it, the easier you're going to get. And then now we've got multiple people passing out. So we're going to try to avoid that. But you also want to make sure you can give them the closest address to where you are. Simply saying that we're on the beach won't be really helpful simply because there's a lot of beach. Now, Maryland itself has 10 miles of beach in Ocean City, and that doesn't include the Bayside or the rest of the Chesapeake Bay as well. I even looked up uh, Rhode Island and it said there's 400 miles, which I don't know how that works, but there's apparently a lot of beach in Rhode Island. I haven't been there. I'm going to have to check it out. But you want to try to give as much of a detailed address as possible so that way they can get to you and hopefully help the person. Now, that got a little bit sidetracked there, but you, you get the point. When trying to control the bleed, make sure that you apply pressure to the wounded area using your hand if you have to, but try using a towel, article of clothing, any sort of cloth there. But of course, if you have medical supplies, gauze would probably be one of the best bets to go with. You should also be trying to get out of the water as fast as possible. 
Now, if the victim is still responsive, keep talking to them. Let them know what you're doing. It's going to be getting them out of the water, of course, and just chatting with them, you know? Now, I don't mean sitting there going, oh, so how's the weather? Like, they're going to be freaking out a little bit. But one of those things where you're like, hey, I'm, I'm getting you out of the water. We're going to get you help. Like, things like that, they're going to calm them down. Hearing someone talk to them is going to automatically calm them down. And that is a psychological response that we have. They'll probably still be freaking out, though, because they were bit and they're losing blood. So just in case you didn't realize that they will be losing their mind. So trying to calm them down is going to be one of the best things and simply talking to them, letting them know what's going on. Like, Hey, we're getting you help. We're going to get you out the water. We're going to do this. That all is going to be more calming for them. Now, one thing that I was taught when I was a lifeguard was called life over limb. And this is saying just try to move with purpose. You don't have to try to rip their other arm off if they've been bit, but try to get them out of the water as fast as you can. Now, if they go unresponsive, they suddenly pass out, anything like that, just get them out as fast as possible. This means that they might lose an arm, but at the same time, I think I personally would rather lose an arm than die. So... Just get them out as fast as possible. You'll also be protected in all states and territories inside of the U.S. by the Good Samaritan Law. So any further injury they may sustain due to you getting them out of the water, you can't get sued for. So please try to help. But once out of the water, keep trying to control the bleed and blood loss. Uh, you'll want to wrap their core body as well, so their torso mostly, but also arms and legs that aren't injured. Uh, so that way, if they start to enter shock and start getting cold due to the blood loss, that way you can keep their core body temperature up, and that way they won't go into shock as quickly. Now, <clears throat> also, you cannot reverse shock on your own there. Uh, that is going to be something that medical professionals have to do, so just trying to slow it down as much as possible is going to be your best bet. Now, if the bite is further down on a limb, you can also create a tourniquet, uh, which I'll do my best to describe because I've only ever seen this on television and I haven't, like, I looked into it more for this, but I also have never made a tourniquet myself, so we're going to try, um, but you want to start by getting a long strip of clothing or cloth, anything like that. You can rip a shirt or pants, something like that. Also use a towel, anything that will work. Uh you can do it, uh, or if you have like a super long bandana, that'll work too. Uh, but it needs to be somewhat long. It can't be short. Uh, the longer, the better. Uh, it needs to be about four inches wide. And you start by tying a knot above the wound. Now, this means on the side that would be closer to the person's heart than the wound. So if they've been bit on the forearm, you don't want to place it around the wrist. That's not going to cut any circulation off. That's just going to cut their, their hand circulation off, which doesn't really stop anything. But you want to tie a knot first around it. And get anything that is straight. You get ruler, umbrella stand. Uh, if you have a pen, that can even work. Uh, it doesn't have to be incredibly long. Uh, just something that you can get leverage on to start to twist. So you want to tie a knot around that and then twist until it won't turn anymore. Now, this is probably going to be painful because, of course, you are cutting off the circulation to the part of the body that is injured. But it could save their life. So once again, life over limb at some points. Once it's tight, you want to get either another knot on top of it to keep it in place, or if you have another piece of fabric to keep it there tight around that so that way it doesn't loosen. Now, hopefully a doctor or nurse is nearby. They'll probably be a little bit better at this than you, but in case, you know, something's better than nothing. So we're going to try to do our best there. That's that. Now, this would also only be used on severe bleeds. So if someone stubs their toe in the parking lot, do not tourniquet their leg to stop the bleed. That's mega overkill. If someone has a deep puncture wound that won't stop bleeding, keep applying pressure, but they probably wouldn't need a tourniquet either. They might need medical attention, but maybe not that far. 
There are some sharks that'll bite and can puncture deep, but probably won't need a tourniquet, such as the Wobegong, as I mentioned earlier, as they'll do damage, but their teeth are smaller, so they should not create a massive blood loss. Most likely, if you witness a shark bite, you will only need to apply pressure and call 911. But going back to lifeguarding, I know how to use an AED, backboard, treat for spinal injury, and do rescues from the bottom of a 12-foot pool, but I only had, had to grab someone splashing at the surface from about six foot deep. So it's a little overkill, but it's one of those moments where I'd rather have it not need it than need it not have it. So that's why you have this information now so that in case if the worst is happening, you can at least try to be helpful in this situation. And of course, know that just do what you can. Uh, don't go too far out of your comfort zone, things like that. Like if you think you're going to pass out or anything like that, make sure that you are safe. Um, but if you can help, try to help if you're not comfortable or if people are already helping too. Don't try to jump on top and be like, no, I know every like if people have it under control, let them go. Um, but this, of course, is if you were one of the first people to see it happen and one of the first people to jump in there. As always, I'm not trying to scare you uh, from ever going to the beach. I'm just giving you the tools to be safe when interacting with sharks and hoping those who most likely don't listen to this podcast. So you can jump around and do that. But that is what I had for the safety portion of this episode. And we're going to go on to the news. Now, we have a couple from California this week. As as the summer goes on, more people go out to the beaches, and California is a shark hotspot. But this week, I have that great white sharks swimming near California Beach prompt officials to issue advisory, and this was by Fox News. Now, I really like this story simply because I feel that California has a good respect for the sharks around them and realize that both humans and sharks can inhabit the same waters, even if there is some danger involved. Now, three white sharks were spotted about 100 yards from shore, which is about a football field, so not very far away, feeding on a sea lion carcass. Officials spotted the three sharks and alerted local lifeguards to the sharks in the area, and signs were put up explaining that, these sh that there were sharks in the area and to proceed with caution. By the time the notice was put up, there were about five or six sharks in the area, according to a witness, but they stated it didn't stop anyone from getting in the water, and nobody got bit. Now, white sharks tend to be near the shores, especially when they are juveniles or when they're young, so it's possible you could see one, but they often stay away from swimmers, so there's really nothing to worry about too much in that front. And that, I feel like, is a good example of what would happen if a shark were to be in the area. Typically, they just hang out, and you hang out, and then you both just vibe, and that's it. But the next story I have is that great white shark breaches near surfers at lower trestles. Uh, this is from surfer.com. This one is also out of California, and this is another example of how sharks just vibe and really don't care about humans all that much. But a surfer was hanging out on a lineup, which is a as a non-surfer means nothing to me, uh, but I'm fully assuming that it's when the surfers are waiting for a good wave to catch. A juvenile great white breached on the other side of the waves, a little ways away, but still close enough to see. The blog surfer, whose name was Hunter Jones, spotted the breach and got video of it from his surf cam. Uh, he does have an Instagram, and you can check him out at Hunter Jones, and that is with two S's. Uh, but everyone continued to surf, and the article mentioned that the story that I covered in the last episode, saying that surfers are usually around sharks 97% of the time, but there aren't that many bites. Uh, as going back to that last story from the last episode, that the sharks usually just hang out there, and then after a while, uh, they just go away. They just see what's going on, realize that it's not food, and then head off. Uh, but even though sharks are around surfers 97% of the time, during that study in the two years that it happened, none of the surfers they observed 
uh, or the sharks they observed were bitten, which was rather awesome. But the last story that I had for you guys this week is after recent sightings off of Jeunesse Beach, how worried should we be about sharks in New Hampshire waters? And this is by NHPR. Now, this was a great article. Uh, it discusses recent shark sightings, but offers caution and information about the sharks without creating fear. The article starts by mentioning that this is a shark conservation success story, as shark sightings become more and more common, especially in the New England area. It does go on to mention that the Rye Fire Department keeps track of local sharks through four receiver buoys in the area, and that they track a variety of sharks. The common sharks to the area are sand tigers and great whites, among many others, but they like to use that area to raise their young. Neat thing about these sharks, though, is that similar to many other sharks, they kind of just give birth and then swim away. So it's a safe place for the baby sharks to be, uh, especially as they grow. They can get better at swimming and things like that before having to migrate down to the Gulf or further uh, at the end of the summer. Now, the waters around Maine and New Hampshire are getting warmer as the years go on, which creates a more suitable environment for the sharks to visit during the warm months. And as the water continues to warm, the sharks are able to stay longer into the year, which, once again, no bites have been reported due to this sighting. It is something to keep track of, though, simply because that the more sharks that are in the area, the more likely a bite can occur, which is both a good and bad thing. Not that someone gets bitten, but the fact that their numbers are rising just means that there's good trends in their population, but also a better chance that you might get bit. So just stay aware. Don't run away from the ocean, but just make sure you keep your head on a swivel, making sure that you're not getting snuck up on by a shark. But that's what I have for this episode. I wanted to thank you all again for listening and being patient with me. Uh, you can follow along on Instagram or Twitter, and I'll run polls, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, you can send any comments, questions, jokes, anything like that. Uh, I did get a couple nice fan mail less, uh, messages, which was incredibly nice of you guys, and I do very much appreciate that. Uh, feel free to give a rating on Apple, Spotify, anything that... Uh, anything like that. There we go. And uh, share with anyone who you think would enjoy listening to these uh, episodes. And other than that, I will see you guys in the next one. Take care.